There's something really curious about this broadcast. T-minus 10, 9, 8, 7, and we have main engine start. 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, and liftoff. This is TGP nominal. Commence episode now. All systems remain nominal. 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 Hello everybody and welcome to TGP Nominal, your monthly look at all things science fact and science fiction. Well, we're into February, uh, we've gone past Valentine's Day, which is the, you know, the patron saint of Hallmark, you know, that, that kind of thing. So, let's just get on with the show, I'll bring up the fader and bring in Mr. Burger. How you doing, sir? But as long as you love me so, let it snow, let it snow, let it snow, just like it did today. Yeah, I saw your photographs. How thick was that today? No, it wasn't much. It was, eh, four inches, five inches, you know, that's what she <laughs> said, territory. By our standards, well, it depends where you are. By London standards, that's quite thick. <laughs> Head a bit north, <laughs> and that's, yeah, you might need to put a jumper on. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not too bad. It, it, it's, it was okay, you know, it was the light, fluffy stuff. I don't mind the snow. I love the snow. It's when you get down to temperatures that are single-digit Fahrenheit or when you get the ice and the sleet mixed in, that's when it becomes a problem. When you bring wind into the equation as well, that just kills it. Yeah. Uh, it's, people are constantly complaining, oh, it's so cold, it's so cold. Yeah, well, I know someone down in Argentina where they're getting it ridiculously hot and she can't even go outside. Yeah, I was looking at that today. It was um, something like in the evening, 6 o'clock in the evening. It was about 33, 34 degrees yeah. Celsius. It's, yeah, in the evening. It's nuts. You know, you can protect yourself from the cold. I've always made that argument. Just layer up. You know, the Eskimos have proven you can live in frigid temperatures. You can't protect yourself from the heat. You can get down to bare birthday suit. You can't go outside for too long if it's too hot. Mm-hmm. So I'll deal with the cold. Uh, this, this is the reason why I found it a bit weird it, that they wanted to have the um, the FIFA World Cup in an Arabic country in the summer. Mm. So you're talking near enough 50 degrees Celsius, uh, oh, which means man. all the games are going to have to be played inside with aircon. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I know enough that I think like 23 Celsius is about, and that's the average, like in the mid 70s, lower, mm-hmm. you know, something like that. But 50? Oh, yeah. no, thank you. That, that's ridiculous. And you're, you're running around for 90 minutes? I don't no. think so. That, that's just heat stroke waiting to happen. Uh huh. Especially for the England team. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's all down to money at the end of the day, but uh, well, and advertising yeah. deals and blah, blah. But there you go. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's World Cup, so us Yankees are like, what? <laughs> we're, we're getting better, just like just like Eurovision. We're getting better at, at uh, you know understanding the World Cup and all that. But it's still just kind of one of those things that you just push off to the side, like, oh, well, you know, I'll kind of deal with it, but only if I really have to. <laughs> Talking of which, Eurovision. Oh yeah. Um, have you heard the rumors about the halftime show? No. It's possibly going to be Madonna. Why? Well, well, she's very popular with the Rainbow Nation. That is a big pull, to be honest with you, for, for Eurovision. I mean, you know, Justin Timberlake a couple of years back 
and I, th- I think Madonna will probably be one of the biggest shows they've had at halftime. As someone who grew up, formative teenage years were in the 80s with MTV when it was good. Is Madonna even relevant anymore? It's still a big name when you think about things for, for Eurovision anyway. I mean, I guess if I that's mean, what they're going after. I remember in the early 90s, I don't know, do you remember a group called Hot House Flowers? No. Irish band? Did they come over here? I think so. Um, They did a song called Don't Go. But they they were... got to say that it must have been when it was in Ireland. <laughs> one, of, one of the many times that it was in Ireland. I think they've, seven times they've won it, so... Haven't won it for a few years, though, I must admit. The regional uh, voting has kind of started. Um, the big ones haven't done theirs yet, but when you look at countries like Sweden and Denmark, they have a huge festival to select their group or singer that is going to represent their countries. It is a huge event. Hmm. I mean, our one isn't such a huge event. Well, I say it's not a huge event. We had uh, Manzemelo. The name is familiar. The, the, the Swedish winner from about 2016, 2015, 2016, the one who did Heroes. We are the heroes of our With the uh, animation in the background. Okay, I know what you're talking about. Um, he was actually co-hosting our selection show. Nice. Right. 2016, so, the only Eurovision of late worth mentioning. <laughs> <laughs> I've still got some songs from that one on my car CD. That was a good year. I mean, 15 and 16 were good years, and then it kind of dwindled a little bit. But uh, I would say hopefully this year will be different, but then I heard the one that's going to represent England, and I realized how wrong I was. Yeah, (laughs) I don't like what they did with the process this year. They had three songs, okay, and two artists were singing the same song, but in a different style. So it was kind of like a a sing-off, and a panel chose which of those would go through to the final, and then the public got to vote for it. Yes, you had six artists, but the public could only vote for three of them. So Yeah, so you've got... You've still got filtering going on no matter what. Mm. That's weird. Who was on this panel that made them relevant? Well, you had one of the guys that's going to be hosting the semi-finals for the BBC. He's a bit of a Eurovision superfan, apparently. You had a girl who was in a girl band who I believe applied a couple of years back to be in Eurovision. And a guy who's a radio DJ and is from a, a boy band that made it through to the finals and X Factor. Okay. So take that as you will, really. <laughs> as I mentioned to you, there was a friend of mine who's involved with Star Wars and stuff, and his daughter was in one of the groups, and he was going, oh, vote for my daughter, vote for my daughter. And we're like, yeah, that would be if we could, but she didn't make it through past the panel vote, yeah. so we didn't have the opportunity to vote for her. But yeah, that, that's weird. I really didn't like the way that was selected. But um, If anything, it should have been, do the six, take the top three out of those, you know, let, let the people vote on it. 
and then take the top three and then let the people vote again. Mm-hmm. Kind of a fixed vote, if you like. Yeah. I've been listening to some of the ones that have been released already. Yeah. <laughs> so it's looking like we're not going to have another 2016. Is that what you're saying <laughs> so uh, far? Out of the five that I've heard, I think I liked one. Oh, boy. Well, yeah, but then again, you and I also didn't like the one that was chosen as the winner last year. Yeah. So it shows what we know. <laughs> we'll have to wait and see. And, um, yeah, our voting from last year will be revealed when we do our Eurovision show. So when is that? May 14th through May 18th. Yeah, that's the usual kind of dates. All righty. It's been an interesting day in the world of tech. <laughs> yeah. Let's geek out a little bit here. As we do. Yeah, it's been what they call the unpacking ceremony, I suppose you could call it, for Samsung Galaxy. It's always around this kind of time every year. So they've released their Galaxy S10 range, shall we call it. Yeah. So you've got four actual phones. Well, five if you include the the Galaxy Fold. (laughs) I don't know, man. That Samsung Fold, though. That's weird. It's a bit thick. I must admit, it's a bit bricky once it's folded over, but I I like the idea of having a phone, and then when you get home, or if you're travelling on a train or whatever, you can just unfold it, you've got a tablet. I kind of like that. I guess, but not for $2,000. That's nuts. And granted, you've got some technology in there that's complicated. Oh, sure, that's bleeding edge. That's absolutely bleeding edge, so you're going to pay for it, but, man, I don't know, I'd rather just get a cheap seven-inch tablet. Mm-hmm. So you've got the Galaxy S10e, which I'm assuming that means economy. Then you've got the Galaxy S10. Then you've got the Galaxy S10 Plus. The Galaxy range themselves, it's really nice. I like what they've done with it. They've, they've done away with everything on the front of the, the phone. It is totally all screen. Then it must have been very difficult to mill yeah, the holes to put the cameras in and everything else without destroying the pixels. Oh, okay, so they have the punch holes in it. Yeah, I don't mind the punch holes. I think the punch holes are less intrusive than those stupid notches. Mm-hmm. And it's got the camera on the back, which is really good. The ultra widescreen and things. There's some nice little touches on there. I know for a fact that I can put them to good use. And then you've got the Galaxy S10 5G. Don't even get me started on the whole 5G thing. <laughs> Don't just... Folks, do not buy a 5G phone. You won't see it for several years. If you see it at all, wait. Straight out of the box, they're saying that uh, Verizon is supposed to be setting up a special network for it. Mm-hmm. If you, uh, if you live in one of four metropolitan areas, and if you are in certain selections of those four metropolitan areas... I went onto the UK site, and there's no mention of it at all. So I don't think it's even coming out in the UK. Well, I mean, that's the that's what I hate about the way we have our stuff here. Our high-speed frequencies, with the exception of one or two, are completely different from the rest of the world. It drives me nuts because people over here were going crazy that Nokia was releasing their 7 and so forth over here. Meanwhile, people around the world are like, well, just get, uh, what is it, Xiaomi Pocophone or, uh, you know, get this other low-end phone if you really want one. And we're just like, excuse me, they don't work on our bands over here, which drives me nuts. If you have AT&T, you might be lucky. Or if you have T-Mobile, you might be lucky. 
But otherwise, you're risking getting a phone. Yeah, it might be cheap, it might be popular around the world, and it might not work here. I didn't realize that was a situation in the States until you mentioned it on Facebook. Yeah, it's really it's frustrating. And, and then, like, if you go to Android Central and talk about that, and all of a sudden people are like, oh, just go get a Poke phone. It's like, I would if we could use it. We can use them. But the only one that I think will work anywhere in the U.S. is like 2G. Oh, okay. Yeah. But if you go to the LTE bands, Verizon's out of the question. Uh, I think Sprint is as well. T-Mobile will most likely work, but not everywhere. Nokia's now, they've brought their three out over here. They brought their seven out over here. And people are just like, yes, awesome. People around the world are just like, really? Yeah, yeah, really. It sucks to be over here with the mobile market. Right. I think it's about time we got involved with the main body of the show, which is all about Field of Force Day, because I've been getting some interviews together, and I thought it'd be nice to play them in. So uh, after this short break, that's what we'll be doing. Uh-oh, nicotine. I'd better move fast. Up, up and away! Go on, kid, go on. Superman, is it hard to give up smoking or is it easy like nicotine says? You no good windbag nicotine. No, no, Superman. Leave me one. Please, I need one. <laughs> yes. That's how hard it is. And that's why I never say yes to a cigarette. I've thought about it a lot. Why does Britain create so many great filmmakers and actors. What is it about Britain that seems to generate these people? It's pretty phenomenal, the influence we've had on, on like global culture. We really punch above our weight. When we were making Rogue One, I sort of half-jokingly, but half-meaning it, said to the producers, well, wait, let's just shoot in Canary Wharf. There's all the guys in the suits, you know, coming home from work, and we're not allowed to tell anyone, it's really secretive, and we're thinking, okay, we're gonna film Star Wars, and like, we had hidden Stormtrooper outfits and stuff, and we go in, and within an hour, turned it into the Empire. I went up to one of the art directors and was like, how did you, this was so good, like, how did you do this so quick? And he said, oh, we came in last night, and we did a practice run like the extra mile that the crew would always go to. It's kind of like a military operation. The great thing about British crews is they've been doing this, you know, for generations and, and they've all inherited off the previous one all these little tricks of the trade. We had an assistant director on the film whose dad worked on the original New Hope and his job on that was to direct the X-Wing pilots for the, for the battle sequence. And his son on our film had exactly the same job. It was really weird. That felt really appropriate. The great thing is on set is no one says no. And you'd say to them, like, you can say no, you know, you, is, is this a problem? And they'd say, no, we don't, we don't do that. Like, they, they sort of pride themselves on giving you everything you want. There's something magical about Great Britain there's so many great examples of British filmmakers, people like Hitchcock and David Lean. And it's funny, because even people like from outside of the UK, like Kubrick, he ended up making Britain his home because, you know, the crews were so good. 
I'm Gareth Edwards, director of Rogue One, a Star Wars story, and I'm very proud to say it was made great in Britain. This is TGP Nominal. Welcome back to TGP Nominal. Now, as I said before the break, we're going to be talking about Field of Force Day, which took place in October last year. And uh, I've been trying to get hold of a few people, but you know how things are. It's quite often difficult to get people together to be able to do stuff. The real life gets in in the way. It does. So... This is the first interview that uh, I wanted to play in. Now, I'm not going to say too much about it straight away. Just have a listen to this. So, joining me on the line is a friend of mine, and he's involved with the comic book industry, and he's a cosplayer, and lots of other bits and pieces that he's involved with. He's called Pat Klein. How are you doing, Pat? I'm good, Mark. How are you doing? You right? Yeah, awesome. Now, the reason why I asked you on the show is, um, obviously, we're, we're doing an episode which is based around Field of Force Day, and this was your first time, wasn't it? Yeah, just this last year, back in uh, 2018, was my first time doing Field of Force Day, and certainly not the first time I'd, I'd heard about it. It's been in one of those conventions that's been on my radar for a few years, uh, trying to make sure I get out to it and, and experience it. There's so many people talking about it and i'd seen uh, of course loads of photos from previous years but this was the first year where i was able to you know make it happen so to speak what was that like for you it's a bit surreal um i mean i'd seen photos but i didn't really know too much about what to expect i i knew that knowing what the con is meant for and what it's what it's geared for it's meant to be an all-access kind of convention for people who might struggle with going to a typical convention atmosphere just for for reasons around special needs or disability or accessibility or you know whatever the case may be and you hear stories about people going to the convention who are visually impaired and actually getting to touch and feel the costumes and props and that sort of thing to get an idea for you know what is a stormtrooper blaster what does it look like or what does the stormtrooper helmet look like or you get to interact with people who are hearing impaired or hearing disabled and they have people helping to sign and if if you're a bit more proactive you pick up a little bit of british sign language before you go and you just try to learn a, a few of the basics and I think I had a little bit of um, a head start on that one. My uh, my mother-in-law, before she passed, she was profoundly deaf, so she could read lips, and she she hadn't been born deaf, and in some enclosed spaces, she could still just about hear, especially if she was reading your lips, but there was a lot of sign language used, primarily alphabet and that sort of thing, just to kind of give you or help give her an idea of what it was you were trying to say. So I, I had to pick a little bit of that up a few years ago. So I've had some practice with it, but it's, it, it had certainly been a while. And just seeing that it didn't actually alter the feel or flow of things, it was still very much a, a convention. There were punters there selling gear. There were vendors selling wares and that sort of thing. Um, it was a bit smaller, I guess, than what I'd sort of expected from how much attention I'd heard it be heard it getting. The venue itself just seemed a little bit small and a little bit cramped at times, uh, especially around some of the more popular cosplayers and popular displays. It just seemed like there wasn't necessarily enough foot room. They must have realized they need a bigger venue now because it's gotten so big. There's so many people going now. They've, they've got a, a much larger venue for next year. So looking forward to seeing what they do with that space. And it's, it's 
amazing to hear the success story for how much it's actually grown in the few short years they've been doing it. So I was just blown away. I think I went in there not sure what to expect. And it was one of those things that I left going, yeah, I'll definitely do this again. It doesn't feel like any other kind of event. No, and, it doesn't. And it looks a lot like it. Um, and it's it's a bit deceptive in that you walk in and you go, it's it's a convention. But then there's there's clearly something very unique and special about it and very special about the interactions you get with people, particularly as a costumer. I spent half the day being Captain America and with all the buzz around Marvel these days, I think he was a bit more popular, so to speak. And it made it very, very special to have those interactions with people. Yeah, really enjoyed it. It touches so many people in different ways and I've, I've heard so many different stories from people that I've actually sent some of the sound bites uh, to the organisers of the event so they can hear what other people have said about the event. I, I think it's difficult for them to take compliments but when they actually hear all these different people I think they'll, they'll realise how much it means to people. It goes without saying that when you watch the numbers grow year after year, clearly you're doing something right. Mm -hmm. But sometimes it's uh, it's difficult to listen to personal victories and personal stories maybe to just go, wow, did did this con really mean that much to somebody? And um, as someone coming along to play a, you know, a very, very small part in it, just trying to be part of the attraction really, you could see what they're doing right. And yeah, I can't wait to see what they do with a bigger venue. And I hope they don't lose that that very personal touch that it has at the moment. And I don't think they will, but that is a risk that you run when you when you grow things and when things get to a, a larger scale. And certainly other conventions, more mainstream standard fare conventions have become that sort of mass marketed, impersonal very, very much about generating revenue uh, and hype. A lot of those cons just don't have the same special atmosphere to it, to say the least. So hopefully that's something that they'll they'll keep hold of as they continue to grow. Yeah, it'll definitely be a challenge, but I think that's what they want. I think they want the challenge. So that was Pat Klein, and um, as you can probably tell, he's from your side of the pond. Well, yeah, yep, he could be Canadian. But, he, you know, either way. He's actually from Michigan. I was going to say, can you kind of guess what region he's from? See, Michigan, yeah, every region does have its dialect, but that's not one that really stands out. You know, certainly mm. not like Brooklyn or not, you know, something like that. Or Chicago, that's uh, another one. I've got friends in Chicago. I really don't hear one that much there either. Oh, really? Yeah. When they're going, the bears, it's... um. <laughs> Well, okay, the bear. Well, keep in mind, I'm from Scranton, where we whack, tack, and drink water a couple, two or three times a day while whacking a dog, ain't I? So I'm not one to talk. I also spoke to him a bit about his cosplay. You, you heard a little bit there. He does do a very good Captain America. I'm very proud of it, too. Yeah, but how many eye rolls does he get? He does not because people <laughs> love it. People absolutely love it. Yeah, so I, I spoke to him... Uh, a bit about his cosplay. I know how you love your cosplay, and you've been doing that for a few years now. Yeah, I've done a few different bits with cosplay. I started out by getting into sort of the Star Wars scene. I, I think I started as doing just a generic Jedi cosplay, and then from there, 
I started working at um, Dead Universe Comics in, in Aylesbury, and I started thinking, you know, I need to branch out my characters, do something a bit more comic book related. And my missus came up with the idea that I need to, obviously being the American living in the UK and working in the comic shop, I need to do Captain America. <laughs> so that happened. Uh, and I did uh, a Sand Trooper and some other Star Wars kits. I ended up joining Joker Squad, who I'm sure you're familiar with. Yeah. And they've they've certainly got a presence at Feel the Force Day every year. I was definitely aware of it from from their attendance, but again, it was just one of those things. It it didn't happen for me. And I think in my previous job working in the retail world, weekends are prime time, so getting away to a convention just doesn't always happen. Even when you're working in the comic book industry, sometimes you got to man the uh, man the till, so to speak, rather yeah, than yeah. being out doing some of the extra events. That's very true. And from getting involved with that, I mean, one of your big costume should i say at the moment is well not necessarily costume i mean harrison ford is very big in the way you do things at the moment isn't he yeah i mean han solo was my first harrison ford costume and that was actually pitched to me by um one of the guys in joker squad he said well we don't have a han solo um you're american you can do the voice I pointed out I don't have any hair, so I'm going to have to get a wig. And he's like, yeah, so what? You know, he pointed out that our Princess Leia costumer at the time, she wore a wig. We have another Leia that's joined the group since she wears a wig. And, you know, a large number of the characters have some sort of prosthetic headpiece, whether they be an alien requiring head tails or, again, a character wig, what have you. So I kind of choked on my pride a little bit on that one. And I ended up getting a wig, ended up doing a Han Solo. I've had a lot of fun with it, but now that's led on to doing Indiana Jones, which is probably my favorite costume I think I've ever done. It's just so easy to wear. It's so comfortable. It's so relaxed. You know, when I'm doing a costume I, I try to make it a bit more than just you know what i'm wearing i try to bring that character to life in whatever way i can and it's a lot of fun to be indie because you get to just really have some fun with it same same with han just because he's that sort of scoundrel type person who he doesn't have to take things too seriously you can joke around a little bit with people you can try to you know shrug people off and and act like you're a little bit too big for your own britches it's it's a lot of fun and when you were Han Solo, you got a, a really awesome picture with Carrie Fisher, didn't you? I did, yeah. Um, it was actually my wife's idea. Star Wars Celebration, what year was that? That was... 2016. 2016. And I was over here in London, and uh, we booked photo shoots. Uh, we were looking at it. My wife was heavily pregnant at the time. She was like, I am not going to do any of the photo shoots or anything I'm a little bit worried about standing in a, a queue for too long. But if you want to do anything, I was like, well, I'd really like to do a photo with Mark Hamill and a photo with Carrie Fisher. I think that would, for me, that's better than getting an autograph because an autograph, there's always going to be a question from other people of, mm, is it authentic? Do you have a photo of it being signed? Or, you know, you have to choose what are you going to get signed? I've just never been a huge autograph kind of guy unless it's something personal, something for me. But a photo, you've got a photo with someone and you can frame that, you can you can hang that up, you can show that to people and people go, wow, you really did meet that person. And in my case, um, my wife had pitched the idea that I need to wear my Han Solo costume to have uh, my photo with Carrie Fisher. And then she's pitched the idea, you've, you've definitely got to see if she'll kiss you for your photo. <laughs> I was like... I can't have heard that right. And she's like, you know, absolutely. You've got to do it. Um, so there I was waiting in the queue to go get uh, my photo taken with Carrie Fisher, you know, nervously thinking to myself, am I actually going to ask her that? 
it gets to my turn. I walk up and um, can't remember what exactly I said. Something really cheesy along the lines of, hey, princess, beautiful as always. And she she thought that was good. And I said, would you mind if I asked to, um, to have a kiss for my photo? And she just kind of actually turned to look at me rather than posing for the next person in the line for her photo. She looked me up and down and just went, oh, yeah. And uh, I think there was more to do with my age than anything. And then she, yeah, she went for it. And um, we got the photo. Oh, she was definitely a character. Definitely. Oh, yeah, she was. And through your love of Indiana Jones, I didn't actually realize there were so many hats. Oh, wow. Yeah, the hat changes (laughs) between film, but also changes between scenes and there are guys out there in the indie community who, if they heard me now, they'd probably uh, have their own two cents to throw in on this one. <laughs> and it's it's nuts to see it happen on the uh, the Indiana Jones cosplay groups or collectors groups on Facebook. People can break it down scene by scene and say, well, if you look at this hat here, uh, you can tell that uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, for example, is um, is a perfect example the hat originally was made by uh, Herbert Johnson Hatters in London. It's a factory-made hat, probably made out of rabbit felt, where most guys these days tend to prefer getting beaver felt for their hats. It's just a bit more durable, a bit more robust. It's going to last you a lot longer, hold its shape a lot better, and it's a lot more weatherproof. Beaver felt's a bit more dense. Raiders of the Lost Ark, that hat was off-center. If you look at the center crease on the front of the hat, it was off at an angle. If you were to look at the hat from top view down it's almost like they've rotated the hat like 45 degrees and then they've bashed it and created that that crease to where the front should be so it gives the brim a really off balance kind of swoop so one side's a bit higher than the other and it 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 makes it look more used and more more worn and there's one scene in particular where that hat is turned quite extremely i think it's more of a 50 to 60 degree turn on that hat and that swoop is is really really prominent. That's in the um, that's in the bar scene in Nepal when Indy first goes to meet Marion. So, there you go. There's um, a whole load of things about hats you probably didn't want to know or need to know. <laughs> but my favorite has always been the um, the Last Crusade hat, and I've I've recently achieved getting sort of my dream Last Crusade fedora. I got that as an early Christmas present from my parents actually, and that was with me for um, a con back in November. I was I think I got it just in time for MCM Birmingham. He really likes Indiana Jones. Just a little bit. And yes, I did not know that much about the hats. It's a bit like the Vader masks, to be honest with you. You can tell which Vader mask it is depending on the film, because they're all pretty different. Well, same thing with Han Solo's gun, the DL-44 blaster, which was you know the first big thing that I printed off with my 3D printer. And looking at some of the research behind that, and they were getting down to, well, for this movie, it looks like they used this part from this gun, which was only manufactured between this this year and this year, but you can also see in this scene that it's a different prop, and that one was probably from the same gun, but models this year between, you know, between this year and this year. And I'm reading some of these posts like, okay, your attention to detail is fantastic, but... Wow. (laughs) Hey, you know, when you really start to get to love something, that's what happens. That's the thing. I mean, the thing that he he was saying to me was that with the Indiana Jones jacket, for example, to get it into the movie ready, if you like, you've got to do a lot of brushing it and throwing dirt at it and... 
all kinds of things to make it look grubby. And he said, I've just spent all this money on this jacket and I'm distressing it, you know. <laughs> but it's what you need to do if you want to get it right. And he actually works with another guy uh, called Mark Humphreys who uh, does Dr. Jones Sr. So they actually go to conventions now as the Jones Boys. Nice. And they do look the part. They really do look the part. As you heard, Pat, he's worked at Dead Universe Comics, and that's where I met Pat. But he's also written comic books as well. The other thing I wanted to talk with you about, you've been involved with the comic book world. So how did that start out for you? You know, a a roommate of mine in college, actually, um, he was in the uh, process of buying out a comic business from his old employer who decided he was going to retire and said, you know, you pay me X amount a month for X amount of time out of whatever the shop takes. And once it's done, it's yours. He's finished that now. So he's he's the proud owner. My buddy Steve owns Coy's Comics out in Saginaw, Michigan. Don't know if they're going to be any listeners in Saginaw, Michigan. Maybe. When I moved over here to the UK, I started with uh, another day job. I was working at the CEX in Aylesbury and it was all right, but it wasn't quite the right place for me. And then I ended up being offered a job by uh, Ian over at Dead Universe. And I took that job on. I ended up managing the store for a few years. And yeah, it was good fun. But you read a lot of different comics when you're in there uh, because you have to try to know the market a little bit. You have to know what you can recommend to your customers. And the more you read and the more you sort of start to understand and appreciate the craft, the more you start to think, man, you know what? I'd really like to have a go at this. And I think it started by me coming up with some really off the wall ideas, which people just kind of thought was um, a little bit different, a little bit weird. I was okay with until I, I came up with one very off the wall idea that someone fortunately heard and said, actually, that sounds like it could work. Can you um, send me a quick sort of treatment on that for you know maybe one or two pages as a rough draft and leave it with me? And that, that was Matt Rook, who he had been doing uh, a comic with his Mrs. Grania, and they worked on uh, a title called Apes and Capes. And they've also launched a title a couple of years back, uh, Bubbles 07, which was another sort of primate-themed anthropomorphic character in the spirit of, of James Bond. So it wasn't too far out of his ballpark when I pitched the idea of a uh, saxophone playing marmoset in a blues band who, you know, he did his music by night and then by later night he was actually a uh, ninja assassin. And that was Toots Malloy Blues Ninja. And I put together the first couple pages into a draft. But then a few weeks later, he sent me the refined pages. I was like, this is this is incredible. So we put together a whole script and we did the first issue. And that was that, really. But Toots was a lot of fun to do. Um, I ended up helping um, someone you know for sure, John Scrivens, um, creator of Little Terrors. He asked me to come on board and uh, I think it started with he wanted me to do some editing on some dialogue and some narrative in issue three of his relaunched Little Terrors title. So I, I happily agreed to do that for him. We did an origins issue. Our friend Brett Uren is the guest artist for that issue. So Brett and I kind of teamed up on that and did I, I bashed out the script and Brett did the the artwork on it very very talented guy John did the color work it all just came together really really well 
and then John decided to put his three issues and the origins issue into uh, a paperback, which he kickstarted. And he came to me and he said, um, problem is, Pat, that the first two issues clearly read like someone else has written them. And the third issue, my editing touch on it read like something different. So he wanted me to go through and edit all three issues and streamline them into essentially one streamlined narrative. So so I did that and we, we released the trade paperback. I don't know how many copies we still have of that. I think we we must have sold through most of them by now. Yeah, that was a lot of fun too. But those are, I guess, those are my two sort of major comic projects: Toots Malloy and um, Little Terrors. Toots Malloy is is absolutely awesome. I must admit, you actually signed a copy for me. <laughs> And I've actually got John to sign a copy as well, and my copy as well. So Absolutely, I just yeah. I just need the the third signature. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to see if we can get Matt to sign it for you. And John did the color work on that, and I say color, but it's it's a noir comic, so it's very much sort of gray tone, monochromatic. But even even so, it's all about getting the right shading and getting the right tones in there. Yeah. And John did a fantastic job with that. And uh, we ran sort of a, a mini origin for toots i think i mentioned earlier about uh working at koi's comics back in um back in saginaw they ended up getting to be part of the michigan comics collective which was which it was all about promoting local artists and local writers and uh local independent comics and uh my old roommate steve said hey do you want to do something with toots malloy and put it into the mcc anthology that they were kickstarting at the time so i wrote up a, a short eight page i think it was um little origin for how toots when he's actually still doing his ninja training he ends up on a mission out into the u.s trying to learn how to blend into a foreign environment he ends up in a nightclub and he hears the blues for the first time and uh steve did the artwork for that um we had a guy david andre do the uh do the inking and there was just one page that i think had a splash of blue color into it and and that was it the rest was was all still that lovely noir monochromatic gray tone effect and we ended up reprinting that over over here as well um and uh yeah john did uh the color work on that he, he made it into a digital coloring format a bit less hand finished a bit more professional for the reprint that we were doing at the time will there be a second issue or the script was finished quite a while ago i'm a little bit scared to actually go back and read that script and see whether whether it holds up to sort of what it was in my head what my expectations were there's certainly a lot of encouragement from the people who had bought and read the first issue. You know, when when can we expect the second one? And that's it's a great question to be asked. When's number two coming out? But ultimately, the bottom line was it's got to come down to fitting into the schedule for the writer and the artist. And for me, I, I managed to get scripts done in what I thought was going to be a good sort of time frame to, to pass it along to Matt. Matt has had a tremendous amount of success with his artwork. Um, he's done some really cool things. He, um, he did some animation work for Deep Purple for a music video of theirs, I think, uh, last year or the year before. Wow. And how cool, how cool is that? That is awesome. And he's, he's getting, he's getting paid work, which is the dream for an artist or a writer in the, uh, in the indie comic scene rather than kickstarting and trying to, you know, crowdfund your projects as a labor of love, you know, to have someone come to you and say, you actually you're really good i want to pay you to do what you're doing now 
and you've got to prioritize those things. And I would never, ever, ever begrudge Matt getting getting the paid work because the realistic side of it is Toots was well loved by the small market we reached out to. Anyone who's read it has had positive things to say. I think the the coolest thing I've ever been able to sort of say uh, in the way of bragging rights is that I gave a copy to Stan Sakai, the writer and artist for Usagi Yojimbo, a long-running anthropomorphic title about uh, mm-hmm. a rabbit samurai in feudal Japan. That comic's been around for over 30 years now, I yeah. think, and it's still going strong. And Stan is a great guy, came over to do a convention here in the UK. I managed to not only get some original artwork from him, but I, I gave him a you know, like I said, I gave him a copy of Toots to read and obviously told him, you know, anthropomorphic titles like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Usagi Yojimbo had a huge impact on it. But it was also inspired by things like uh, Frank Miller's Sin City, uh, the work of Ed Brubaker, books like Criminal and Fatal and a lot of that kind of thing um, was where the sort of noir side of it came from. But Stan read the book and uh, gave it a really positive review. Um, his wife read it as well. She really enjoyed it. And we were very happy to hear that. Yeah, very, very cool. <laughs> that is really awesome to, to get that kind of, not uh, endorsement, but uh, to get someone who's been in that, that line for a long time to actually read your comic would be just awesome. And it, it was very clear that he'd actually read it because I think one of the things he said about it was, um, you know, he said he really enjoyed reading about um, the blues, not jazz playing uh, yeah. set. And it's a throwback to one of the uh, one of the lines in the comic is this uh, distinction between a blues band and a jazz band. And uh, I think it's about the drummer, if I remember right. The drummer is playing a bit more jazz style on the drums, and he gets told off by Toots, who's a bit of a miserable so-and-so about it, and says, that's not blues. <laughs> yeah, he, he, he tends not to like jazz that much. He's a bit of a purist uh, <laughs> at times, and I think that's one of the things about the character is that he... Um, you know he's he's got that harsh discipline side to him from his uh his ninja training mm-hmm. which the blues band don't know about they just kind of think that's you know that's him he he likes to keep blues as blues he doesn't want to mix it up with any other particular style but i mean blues and jazz realistically speaking have a lot of uh commonalities between them so i think it was a throwaway line in the comic that i didn't really mean too much by and then when i went back and thought about it i was like actually Blues, blues and jazz are pretty closely related, so you can probably forgive a drummer for going off on a little bit of a jazzy <laughs> fill every once in a while. Yeah, definitely. Well, Pat, it's been a pleasure talking with you. Likewise, Mark. Thank you very much for having me. And uh, hopefully we'll get you on the show again soon when, when other things come about. Yeah, anytime. So, yeah, that's his comic, Toots Malloy, Blues Ninja. Nice. And it is really, really nicely drawn. Um, obviously, with being a ninja, there's going to be a little bit of bloodshed here and there. Well, you know. So the whole, the whole thing's black and white, apart from the odd bloodstain. <laughs> oh, so that, that's very much like uh, Sin City. Like Sin City, yeah, yeah. It's really got that feel to it. But uh, it's a really nice, nice comic, actually. I, I enjoyed reading that one. Um, I, I like some of these more independent comics than some of the, you know, the main brands. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he's a, he's a great guy, and he gets involved in quite a few other things as well. He mentioned there are a couple of people. There was um, 
Brett Uren, who we've had on the show, he had a crowdfunding thing for one of his comics that he was trying to promote, and uh, it did very well. And I'm, I'm hoping that we had something to do with that, <laughs> a bit of promotion for him. The other guy he mentioned there was John Scrivens, who's an illustrator and colorist. He has had some quite good luck with um, some of the things he's done. I mean, he's worked on things for Marvel, and I think he's worked on things for 2000 AD. And not only that, he's also worked on a project that's very close to our hearts, uh, which is going to be released very soon, within the next few weeks. And that would be Department of Ability. Mm-hmm. He's the actual colorist nice. for the Department of Ability comic. So uh, they've got a really good colorist in for this. Uh, John is superb. Now, the next interview was somebody I wanted to interview on the day, but unfortunately there was a lot going on and it was very, very busy at Field of Force Day this year with the amount of crowds that actually took part in it this year or last year, as the case may be. But yeah, um, have a listen to this. With me on the line, I have Julie Fernandez, who a lot of people will know from The Office, obviously. But you've been involved in quite a lot of other things as as well as, I mean, I know your career started off with uh, a TV show that, hmm, it's a bit of a Marmite show, isn't it, El Dorado? Do you know what? It really is. But imagine if it was on now with the whole Brexit situation, that would be interesting, wouldn't it? Oh, what a storyline. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) That was what launched you into, into acting? It did. I was a student at a wonderful boarding school in England called Trelaws, which is the biggest boarding school in the UK for disabled students. And uh, their BBC contacted the school to inquire if there was anyone that might be up for auditioning. And I had always been interested in drama and done all the school plays and my name was put forward. And a week before my 18th birthday, I flew out to Spain to start filming. So the whole thing was actually on location in Spain? It was. So the whole cast and crew moved out a month before we started shooting for press and and all sorts of other bits and pieces. And we basically lived down on the Costa del Sol for a year. Wow. Not bad at 18, eh? No. um, So I I guess off of camera there was a bit of partying going on. There was loads of partying going on. You know, so uh, a week after we got there, it was my 18th, and that was the first of very many big parties. It was great fun. My time at Trelaws was wonderful, but it was a strict boarding school, and I had very strict parents. And then all of a sudden, I was 18, living in Spain, earning a wage. Uh, As long as you turn up sober, then the, the... that day for filming and you knew your lines get on with your life and I'm like okay yeah at 18 I can yeah I can see that <laughs> yeah. great times great times so what was it like actually dealing with the fact that you had people from different countries all on one show I mean some of the people all right everybody was speaking English but some of the people English wasn't their first language so that, that was was there any difficulties there not really for, for me personally I my mum's Austrian so German is my second language I've got a smattering of French I learned a bit of Spanish while I was out there so language is, is something I've always been interested in and, and 
and fully immerse myself in. Um, and, and to be honest with you, most of the cast spoke English anyway. It was really the crew, because the studio was built right out in the Coen Mountains, in like a million miles from nowhere. And part of the deal with the BBC is that the local villagers uh, were employed as crew in different ways that was a little bit tricky because they didn't speak english but you know you get by with arms and legs and descriptions and it was great really yeah that's that's the one thing about um continental the way of life is a lot of expressions are done with hand gestures so you can kind of make yourself put across easier from El Dorado I mean you've done other things I mean you was in Dangerfield for a little while and then obviously the big one was when you you got a a part in uh, Ricky Gervais's The Office I know mad isn't it wonderful (laughs) what great opportunity very lucky I was really really lucky so what's Ricky Gervais like to work with? Because some people say he can be difficult. Some people say it's just a laugh a minute. He can be infuriatingly brilliant. <laughs> and, and that is said in the nicest possible way. And, and I guess what I mean by that is it was actually a joy to work with him because uh, so basically Ricky and Steve uh, directed the show. Yeah. Uh, and obviously uh, Ricky, uh, Ricky and Steve were in it one more than the other. But what was great is because um ricky is an actor himself so when you were doing a scene either with him or with other members of the crew and the cast um if he thought it was funny he'd laugh out loud so you know you'd be like cut yeah we'd have to do that again (laughs) or you know if he was i think there was one scene i think it was with either martin or mackenzie i can't remember but it was like 70 takes because he just didn't stop laughing because he really appreciated the other actors in the room and and what they were doing which is wonderful but also incredibly infuriating after 70 takes i can understand that but great for dvd sales i would imagine extras and stuff but that actually shows the the actual honesty in the whole show which is what i think sold it because it was honest and genuine and actually came across as a you know a fly on the wall documentary rather than a sitcom strangely my agent put me up for the audition went for the audition and they then uh, offered me the job and they sent me a copy in the post um to watch and i hadn't watched the first series i knew nothing about it so i started watching like the first episode and halfway through i'm like is this for real? Is this is this actually a documentary or is this a send-up? Because I, I hadn't got a clue initially. So, yeah, it was good fun. Because I know Ricky Gervais's character used to make a point of saying, oh, look, you know, you're the token disabled person in the department kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, is that what actually comes across in, in real-life situations as well, in offices and things for, for you? Is that something that is quite realistic? very realistic and you know a surprising amount of people with disabilities have come up to me over the last 15 years since the show's been on air uh, who have said oh that that fire scene where where you get left stranded because it's just a, a drill um and practice run that's happened to me in real life and you think oh gosh you just can't believe it yeah. but yeah i mean that's that's a whole different conversation about you know how society treats and deals with disabled people it's it's tough out there it really is it's a it's a it's a hard one to deal with um but it's got to be dealt with and i think ricky's quite clever because the media industry don't represent disability 
particularly well they haven't for years so if you look at television and movies disabled people usually are portrayed in one of three ways so it's either what we call the medical model so it's all about you know it's the person in the hospital so you know it, it could be a, a a program or a movie about i don't know a hospital for example and it's the the inpatients because of their disability or they're the brave heroic wonderful individuals that are are just so inspiring because they climbed a mountain or and mostly they're the baddies so if you i mean if you traditionally look back in tv and movies the baddies are the are the people with a, a patch over their eye and, and a limb missing yeah. often with mental health and various other other issues so it's really hard to see positive interesting portrayals of disabled people in ordinary everyday lives but ricky kind of got that right i mean if you look at traditionally if you look at his stuff he has disabled people and he actually employs disabled actors as well because that's another one of the issues yeah. on the rare occasion disability is represented most of the time it's um, an able-bodied actor playing a disabled character and what we in the community have been trying to educate the media with is well would you get a white actor and paint in black to play the role and of course the reaction is absolutely not that's disgraceful yeah. and we're then saying that's and, and we're glad that you feel that way we would like you to feel that way towards disability too um so ricky kind of got it right because he has disability in most of what he does he employs disabled people and um he's quite clever because if you think about what happened to my character brenda in the office it was never really about her the disabled person it was about how able-bodied or non-disabled people treated her as a disabled person yeah yeah i'd never actually thought of it that way but yeah you yeah you're right that's that's a really good way of looking at it one thing i wanted to bring up with you because um this is where i met you was field of force day yeah how was that for you fabulous <laughs> absolutely fabulous kind of <laughs> i've been saying i've been wanting to go to comic-con for a while just never got round to it um but and and i will do one day but for me it it was amazing on a couple of different fronts the most amazing bit for me if i was honest with you was seeing that many disabled people i mean we are talking thousands of disabled people and their friends and family coming together in a really upbeat positive way on an amazing day with lots of fun and laughter and that the guys who organize feel the false day realize that this is a massive untapped market mm -hmm. and that, that we are actually being valued one because they're putting this event on but they're not just putting this event on they're thinking about everything as in okay for those who might be on the autistic spectrum if it's too loud in one room we'll have a slightly quieter you know they're really thinking about all of it and that's really special so for me it was being around that many disabled people in a really on a happy happy day and then because i love all things sci-fi yeah i was in my 
my element. <laughs> the other thing about Field of Force Day that I don't find at other Comic Cons is kind of showmanship that's there as well, because you've got stuff that's going on on the stage, you've got all sorts of things, and, and it just brings that kind of feel of... It's, it's more like a party than, yeah. than a Comic Con. Um, Funny you should say that, because Spence, Spencer Wilding, who plays Darth Vader, who I was sat next to for most of the day, really, really lovely chap, was saying exactly the same. And Zara, one of the other actresses who was in Doctor Strange, and her and her husband were also saying the same. This is a brilliant version of Comic-Con. In the others, you don't get the singing and the dancing and all that, and it just makes it so special. And it is a little bit more personal as well. You get a little bit more time with the people to talk to them, and especially with the costumers and and stuff. You, You don't get that time at these big events where it's almost like a production line especially for you guys you know signing things and stuff it's it's like a production line and field of force day has always been created to avoid that do you know what i loved that all of the disabled people who dressed up i mean there were wheelchair users there who their what they were physically wearing was part of their costume but equally that you know like one lady's husband built her a spaceship that was attached to her wheelchair so her disability equipment was an extension to the costume and that was also brilliant I, I don't know if you saw the the family that were all dressed up as Ghostbusters, and no, I missed that. <laughs> um, the, the, they had a um, a child that was in a wheelchair, and he wanted to be one of the ghosts. So what they did was they converted the wheelchair into a ghost trap, so that he could be in this thing as a ghost with all these <laughs> Ghostbusters standing around him, rest of the family. And I thought, yeah, that was awesome. Absolutely, but it was just a beautiful day. It it always is. I mean, I've been going for. This will be my fifth Field of Force Day event, and JJ and Simon have kind of regarded me as part of the furniture now. Lovely. And I get on so well with these guys, and they do listen to the podcast because Simon just pulled me up on things that I've said about him in the past. (laughs) I I, uh, I went to one of the events, and he went, Oh, I've got a bone to pick with you. Oh, what have I said now? You know, that kind of thing. Brilliant. I've met so many people from Field of Force Day that have enhanced my outlook on things. In what way? Uh, so many positive people. It has changed how I am, actually. Field of Force Day has changed how I am as a person. I have been through uh, a few downtimes. Just going to Field of Force Day actually brings you out of that situation. And I can imagine if people are on in a, in a very low place... mentally going to an event like that can just lift you i mean if if you're suffering with something like depression or something like that field of force day can bring you i'm not going to say bring completely out of it but it can lift you no end um the guy that i actually go to field of force day with is my photographer um Mm -hmm. alan he um suffers with ptsd And uh, he has a lot of low moments in his life. And one of the highlights of the year for him is Field of Force Day. You know, we're talking about Field of Force Day. We have been talking about it in terms of physical disabilities. Mm. We, we haven't even touched on people with uh, mental health disabilities, anxiety, depression, PTSD, etc. Yeah. Um, and 
it is disabling and it is a disability um and it just goes to show how important it is for everybody for various different reasons so you know again because i know so many people with mental health disabilities anxiety and depression and they don't really see themselves as disabled you know again they've got that traditional you must be blind or a wheelchair user but actually they are in some way shape or form and it just goes to show when we come together on the same day mm-hmm. like feel the force day it can make everyone feel upbeat and better yeah definitely. That, that's inclusion that's that's all about and and i also think that's partly because you are walking into wheeling into an environment where you are totally accepted you are the important person and you are valued and I don't think we get that enough in many other places I try and encourage as many people to go to Field of Force Day as I can for that reason because you see everybody on a level playing field yep. and it's just a magical um, I've seen children on the autistic spectrum at some degree grow because of Field of Force Day acceptance and it is it's magical and to be honest with you I, I, I've been saying it for a couple of years now somebody should nominate those two guys for a Pride of Britain award um, yes and no <laughs> and you're going to think that's a strange answer yes I totally understand where you're coming from but they're just tapping into a zeitgeist they're tapping into a moment they're tapping into realising that disabled people have value and worth Mm. and I guess the cynic in me would say yeah but this is like a bit of a business for them you know dash charity etc does that mean that anyone doing anything for disabled people should then get an award is that slightly patronizing Mm. or should we just look at it that they're done and are doing an amazing job carry on doing it do they need an award for helping disabled people? I don't know. Yeah, I see what you're saying. I, I, I'm not looking at it as an award for helping disabled people as such. It's just the fact that they don't have a life, especially JJ, because he gets involved in so many different projects. He's, he's only got a part-time job because if he didn't have a part-time job, he wouldn't be able to do all these other projects that he Got you. Okay, well, in that point, I understand it better now. And and yes, I understand where you're coming from. But what you say, they are running a charity. It is kind of a business. As Simon said to me in my first interview with him, it's the first business that he's been involved in that he doesn't actually make a penny from. But hopefully, the bigger it gets, the more successful it becomes, the more that other businesses want to tap into that. Yeah then hopefully like all businesses in time it will grow and you will then start earning money see the idea of field of force day is that any money that is made from the event rolls over into any other projects that they're involved in so that means if somebody wanted to start up uh, a field of force day event in another part of the country Mm -hmm. they have a little bit of a kitty to start the project that's awesome. They could look at funding because there's various places that they could access funding from that they could then, uh, so let's just say Nottingham want to put one on or wherever, 
you know, there's a little bit of funding from Feel the Force Direct, but could they then, between that organisation and Feel the Force, work together to get some money in and um, put the event on? And within that, they need to build wages because, you know, to run an event like that, it takes a lot of work and effort. Oh, yeah. And it's lovely that people donate their time, but like you say, you know, we all need to earn a living. So, you know, there might be ways around that so that everyone can can get some value from it i'm really sorry but i've got to go i've got a meeting with my boss in half an hour no problem i could carry on talking for days <laughs> about all these types of things and it's been an absolute pleasure to um chat with you all about this yeah it's, it's been an honor having you on the on the show thank you for inviting me thanks julie take care darling i'll speak to you soon yeah brilliant see you soon bye, bye. that was a cool interview and that's not half of it because I've got some more recordings of Julie talking about her campaigning for inclusion mm-hmm. and disability rights, which I'm going to put together and put it out there as a TGP nominal extra episode. Cool. So, yeah, look out for that. The TV show I was talking about at the beginning, um, El Dorado, it was um, a soap opera set in Spain with different nationalities getting involved. So there was a German family, a Danish family, a French family. It didn't do very well, and it cost the BBC a lot of money to put this show out there. I think they made 156 episodes or something like that. They made 156 episodes of a show that didn't do very well? That's how long it lasted. They wanted to see if they could pick up the the ratings. But they actually built this village this Spanish village from scratch. Holy cow. It cost a lot of money. Yeah. And um, as Julie said, she was called up to play the part of Nessa, who uh, was one of the first disabled characters in a soap opera at that time. Nice. So she went from that and worked with Ricky Gervais on the UK version of The Office. That's very cool. But she's right, she's absolutely right. You look at disabled people, and they're always the bad guy. Mm-hmm. Never really thought about it, but then when you hear that, it's like, oh, yeah. And then all of a sudden, all these bad guys come to mind that had some kind of disability to it. Yeah. Go back as far as, you know, books, rather, you know, before TV and stuff, and you had pirates with mm-hmm. one hand and a, one leg and not so much one eye, because that's a, that's a complete myth. Yeah, that's a Hollywood thing. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, actually, they did actually have eye patches. Well, I'm sure they did, it. but it's like every time you, oh, well, he's got an eye patch, must be a pirate. You can thank Hollywood for that. Well, the reason they had eye patches is because when they went down below deck, it was dark. So it was actually to help them get their night vision, if you like. That's why they wore an eye patch. No, that makes sense. Not the fact that they had one eye. <laughs> yeah, well, you know. <laughs> and I actually suggested that uh, she might want to speak to... Dan White because she hasn't mm-hmm. actually had any connection with him. Oh wow! So I think that would be an interesting conversation. That would be an amazing connection to make. Um, I'd like to get them both on the show at the same time. That would be pretty interesting. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of TGP Nominal on its infinite mission to explore space, science, and technology news. 
to explore the world of sci-fi, comic-cons, and gaming, to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. When I was talking to Julie, she mentioned Spencer Wilding. I was about to say, that that's not the Darth Vader name I know. <laughs> well, he played Darth Vader in Rogue One. Wow! I saw that he was at Field of Force Day and I wanted to get an interview with him. And as I say, it was very noisy at Field of Force Day. And I caught him just as he was packing up to go. And he basically said to me, look, uh, if you want to do an interview with me, that's fine. But you're going to have to keep up with me. (laughs) Okay, that's fair. (laughs) Now, bearing in mind the size of this guy compared with me... Um, he's like one of his footsteps is about three of mine. So it'd be more like <laughs> I would have to keep up with him. For those people who don't understand that, I'm six foot two. Yeah, well, he's um, well. You'll find out how tall he is in the interview. This is Spencer Wilding. I'm here at Field of Force Day 2018, and I am with the one and only Spencer Wilding. How are you doing? I'm all right. Having a great day. Just about to leave now, this beautiful place of Peterborough, and I've had a great day. It's been awesome to be invited to uh, Field of Force. There's, you know, so many disabilities going on in the room, but so much love at the same time, and I just love them all. It's awesome. Obviously, the main thing I want to talk to you about, uh, the call-up for Darth Vader. How did that come about? Uh, yeah, like every other character, I got the audition. Uh, several auditions later, then they pull me in and then uh, they give me the role and the rest is history. I understand you're pretty much the same build and size as Dave Prowse, is that right? There's only one Dave Prowse and there's only one Spencer Wilding, but uh, I'm just touching 6'8". So I'm a little bit taller than Dave, but Dave's probably a lot stronger than me back in the day, so... So, you're also um, a martial artist, I suppose you can, you can say. Yeah. Uh, what was it? Is it multiple uh, disciplines? Uh, well, I, I was. I learned from all the martial artists out there that know about kickboxing rules. I was low kicks, uh, full contact, and I was an undefeated pro boxer at the same time as well. And I took the world's British European title. Wow. And uh, so you started off back home in, in Real doing that, did you? Yeah, sunny Real, Prostatin, Manor, all the surrounding towns. So I'm born and bred there, still there. Just travel the world, meet the fans. Uh, I'm still active actor as well. So, uh, yeah, that's where it all started. The Welsh, Welsh soil of home. <laughs> to get into the kind of physique that you've been into, well, how much training does that take? Uh, well, I was I mean, a lot more fitter back in the day. I'm 46 now. I just maintain a certain fitness for the films and keep yourself out of trouble. I used to train six days a week, you know, two hours a day. To be a professional athlete, it, it, you've got to put a million percent in, otherwise you, you, you don't earn that title of as a professional athlete. So I was a professional athlete for more than ten years, so did all right. What would you say to somebody who wanted to get into, uh, into either the, the martial arts or the action-acting game? You know what? You've got to be thick-skinned if you're going into the acting. You know what I mean? Get, get ready for some... Uh, closed doors that don't answer you back but don't only take it as a positive because if you get the chance to become an actor and uh, uh, let's say get signed up with an agency they will send you for auditions you're not going to get all auditions so you got to you got to but take it as a positive every time you go to a casting agent you will go into their memories if you don't get the job I wish you do I hope you do if you don't get the job then you've gone into their memory box and one thing they've got is a casting agent is a very very good memory box but keep on chipping away never ever give up and kids if you're going to go into it for your early age get yourself a good job do well in school right to get yourself a good job because you can't live off the parents man you've got to take it take the life skills of becoming an actor and this is 
picked up through life, not just through a, an acting college. Excellent. Spencer, one thing I'd, I'd like to do with you is uh, because the fact you were cast as the new Darth Vader, uh, I'd like you to make you one of our honorary crew members, if that's okay. So um, I'm going to present you with one of our patches and uh, you'll be on our honorary crew member wall. That's a very great honour, and thank you very much. I'm, I'm, you know, I, I take these badges and plaques from all over the world, and it's always nice to be a member of a new family. So uh, if anybody's listening out there, don't underestimate the power of the dark side. <laughs> take care, guys. Such an awesome guy. Mate. Did I hear him say he was six foot eight? Six foot eight. Wow, that's a, that's a whole head ahead of me. Uh, he's six foot eight, and he's very broad with it. Wow got a photograph of myself with him taking a selfie and he he makes me look like I'm from Lilliput. He's um, (laughs) (laughs) he's a very big intimidating looking fella. So wow so like the three of us I'd be right in the middle. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah he's a very big guy. (laughs) Sounds like he's a trip though. He is. He's he's good fun, and uh, I won't talk about it in the show. But I found some stuff out about him when I was talking with Simon and JJ, and the things I heard about him made my respect for him go up even more. The next interview is someone I've been wanting to get for the last couple of years. I won't again say too much about him, but just have a listen to this. So with me on the line, I have Eddie Spangles. How you doing, sir? I'm very good, Mark. How are you? I am absolutely fine. Now, many people might not know that name, but if you've been to Phil the Force Day, you will definitely know that name. Tell us a little bit about how you got involved with Phil the Force Day. Yeah, it was um, a very odd way. So I met JJ, or probably 2000, I think. Yeah, 2000 it would have been. I was working for a company called uh, British Holders, which are now called Haven. And uh, he was teaching us, uh, JJ teaching, it's great, isn't it? JJ <laughs> was teaching us some shows his company were doing. And I was like, yeah, I like him. He's mad. He's crazy. There's something I like about him. I'll go and have a chat with him. And um, one of the evenings when we were supposed to be learning a show, JJ came up to me and went, uh, do you like this Harry Hill? And I went, I love him. He went, well, let's skip this class and let's go watch Harry Hill's TV burp in the caravan. And that was it. And then... Hadn't spoken for years after that, a couple of hellos on Facebook. And then all of a sudden, I got um, a message saying, we're doing this sci-fi convention, but it's not a sci-fi convention, (laughs) and it's not a normal one. Do you want to do something? And I went, well, I like sci-fi. I'm not not a... I don't know everything that, like, Trekkies do and all that. I went, yeah, what do you want me to do? He went, can you come and present some things and interview some people and I went all right and we'll give it a go and then he went your missus can sing can't she and I went yeah he went I've got this song that I've messed the words up to can she sing it and that was it and then from then on every year JJ writes a song mother off Leslie records it I make a video for it and yeah that that's how I fell into Feel the Force Day. And to be honest with you, the, the parodies are just absolutely awesome. I, I can't wait, because uh, like a couple of months before Feel the Force Day, JJ will go, I've got this idea. Or he go, give me a song. So me and Leslie will sit there and we'll give him a song. And we can't wait for that email back with these lyrics. And we're, tears are just streaming down our faces. And Leslie goes, I don't know if I can record this, because I keep laughing. <laughs> and... JJ doesn't know he does this, but because my missus is, uh, she's a professional singer, she's out all the time singing. 
he will always choose a song that Leslie sings. He doesn't know he does it. He does it on accident. But Leslie will learn the words for the Feel the Force Day song. And then for months later, Leslie is out gigging, ruining songs because she's using the wrong lyrics. And you can see people in the audience going, what is she singing about? How JJ comes up with these songs, I have no idea. But they all every year they work. They do. I, I think one of my favourites was the uh, Bruno Mars, the Uptown Funk yeah. one. And, and the reason yeah. for it, the, the Cyberman and the TARDIS line, when I'm listening to the song... I do sing yeah, I do know. those lyrics. <laughs> yeah. And obviously, um, a favourite of mine, for obvious reasons, is the latest one, which was for the 2018. Because um, you, you had a starring role. <laughs> yes, very it much. It was great, it was great. It was funny because I said, you know, uh, this I want to get people involved in the video. How can I do it? And the song, it was a totally different song to all the other songs have been upbeat, and fun and jolly. And this year, JJ threw a spanner in the works and went, we're going to have a left turn here. Let's have this slow 90s song. So, yeah, how can we get people involved? And I went, I don't know, just do 10 seconds of something random and I'll, I'll find a way of putting it in. And it worked, I think. I think we got there. Uh, because the song that was chosen, it was seven seconds, wasn't it? Uh, yes. Ain't a cherry in Newson Door. Um, and I've actually questioned JJ about the bit about Boise and his pork pies. That's where we met Boise. And that's where we met Boise. Yes, not many people know the story about that. I, I said, is, is that true about the pork pies? And he went, yeah. Uh, I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about it because I'll probably get a phone call when this goes out. <laughs> what are you telling people about that for? Yeah. Uh, my favourite one, and Leslie's, was probably the very first one, the first Feel the Falls Day, which was the song Betty Davis Eyes. But yes. the words were changed to Warwick Davis Thighs. He's only three foot six. And Leslie didn't know that Warwick Davis was going to be there. <laughs> and JJ said, can you sing this live? And just before I introduced her, JJ got Warwick Davis in front of the stage and Leslie had to sing at him talking about Warwick Davis's thighs. And from this day on, Leslie has never had the courage to go back up to Warwick Davis and go, do you remember who I am? He'd remember. <laughs> I'm sure he would. I don't know if fondly, I don't know. But... <laughs> But yeah, the the parodies are a massive part of it, um, and I think everybody looks forward to that every year. The run up yes. to it, what is it going to be? What is it going to be? We've been really surprised every year. <laughs> they are on YouTube. I leave them up there, so if you want to go and have a look and see what we're talking about, please do. If I can get a link to them, then I'll, I'll put them in the show notes so that people can um, check them out from there. Yes. So that'll be good. So for the last couple of years on. Field of Force Day, you've been a bit more of a prominent figure on the, the main stage there. I mean, uh, the year before last, you first started doing the, the proper comparing of it. They kind of surprised you with it last year, didn't they? Yeah, so I, as I said, I did, the, I did the very first one, and then work-wise and having, a little, having a, a, um, a little girl, 
X, Y, and Z, we couldn't manage to get there. And then eventually we we made it to the last two. So going from a venue that probably legally could hold probably about 250 people in it to going to the, the, um, the King's Gate, which holds a couple of thousand, that was a bit of a shock. And then the year just gone, um, I noticed that my name is in the brochure as Eddie Spangles Presents. I, they put you on the spot just so you can't say no. Is that the way they do it? That's how JJ and Simon like to work. To me, it's more of a, a, an honour to be asked to come back and do it because it means so much. The first year I knew that you'd done it was, was the year before. We kind of had this running with you because you were approaching on the train at the same time as I was approaching on the train in into Peterborough. And it was almost like a, a, a train race to see who was going to get into Peterborough <laughs> Yes, it was. First. I remember. Of course it was, yeah. And... Uh, uh, I spoke to you when we got there and uh, I said, oh, can I speak to you afterwards? And then I heard how hoarse your voice was afterwards and I thought, maybe I... not such a good idea because you'd really put everything into it. I get a little bit excited. Let's just I mean, the atmosphere of the, the show itself is superb. But then when you're, well, I mean, I'm 39 now, so the celebrities that we get at Feel the Force Day uh, a lot of them are my idols when I was a kid. So I, that that excites me even more. I lose everything. I just go, I'm like an eight-year-old seeing all these robots and celebrities. And I got picked up from the train station in Peterborough. And um, I think it was is it JJ's brother, I think, picked me up. And he went, before we go to the conference hall, I'm just going to go and pick up some people. And I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, okay, that's fine. Yeah, so Hattie Haveridge gets in the car with me. <laughs> I had not a clue what to say. I'm like, come on, get a grip on, you know, sort this out. And then um, Nubu from um, The Mighty Boosh. Yeah. You know, they're all chatting away, happy, happy, happy. I'm like, do I join in with this conversation? I mean, I'm a nobody. These guys, these are my idols, these guys. Yeah, just totally out of the blue. I can relate to that totally because the the first year we did Field of Force Day, which was Field of Force Day 3. Yeah. I'm there with my colleague, my photographer, Mm -hmm. And he's totally professional around everybody <laughs> until he spots Trevor and Simon. I did that this year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was on stage this year, like giving away some toys that somebody uh, donated, which was lovely. Some of these really nice toys. It was like, here's a box of stuff. Go and give them out. And I went, well, yeah, but how do you want me to give them out? Well, that's up to you. Okay. So I thought, right, I'll do questions on celebrities that are there. And all I can see is Trevor and Simon. And I'm, I'm like, please don't make it all about Trevor and Simon. And I did 45 minutes of all about Trevor and Simon, asking questions that these six-year-old kids, one, probably don't know who Trevor and Simon are. And I'm going, come on, swing your pants. And the kids are like, what, what? Yeah. They just don't get it. I was trying to explain awesome. that to my co-host, actually, because obviously him being American... Yeah, uh, there's these two guys that are like these hippie characters that swing their pants on kids' TV, and he's like, "Okay, <laughs> that's still not going to explain what what it is." It's yeah, <laughs> you had to be there. But I interviewed them, and I did the usual thing because Trevor and Simon have got a podcast themselves, ah. and uh, it's a, it's a sci-fi sitcom. Oh, yeah, of course, yes, yeah, sorry. With um, a crush of mine from when I was a kid. Ace, Ace Doctor from Who. Doctor Who, yeah. Yeah, um, moving on. And uh, so I'm talking with them about that, and I couldn't think of anything to say at that point. And the next thing I asked them was, so, do you still not do duvets? <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't help it. Couldn't help it. For you, I mean, I'd love sci-fi. I love it. 
but I'm not really into it. So like all my mates at school were, they were massive into Star Trek and I, not in a rude way, but in a nice way, I, I take the mick about, oh my God, you just need to get out more. But then Trevor and Simon are there and I've done exactly what they've done. Yeah. And I'm just repeating line after line. I, yeah, yeah, I am a geek. You must have some real highlights from when you, you've been on stage. It's it's the variety that, that gets me. So you you can go from having a Jedi group on the stage, all learning how to um, combat with a lightsaber, to a drag artist. I don't know what the proper thing is to say. Um, uh, yeah. But yeah, to go from one thing like that to something totally different and to see people enjoying it that's what it is to have the, the blues brothers those guys get the whole room bouncing and just for me to go ladies and gentlemen the blues brothers and then just to go and watch the reaction of the audience is out of this world not one person with a grumpy face <laughs> it, it's apart from mine it's, it, it's amazing just to see people enjoying it that's all it's about isn't it and, and i think also disney princesses have a big yeah, because, oh, right, I'm going to do a proper David Brent now. <laughs> With sci-fi, you, you automatically think, oh, it's going to be all of, it's all going to be, you know, Batman, it's going to be Star Trek's, but I've got a four-year-old daughter. But she, she was uh, obsessed with the Predator walking around. <laughs> the next minute, she's amazed that there's all these princesses on the stage. And it, it works, doesn't it? Yeah. And the one... Thing that I the first time I saw them, I thought, "Is this going to work?" Yeah, is yeah. The cats. Mm. It's amazing to see the kids with these cats. It is really, really spectacular to see. I've got, I've got to say, I miss out on so much stuff that happens at Field the Force Day because I'm on stage. Mm -hmm. I forget there's another twenty rooms happening, <laughs> so I don't see that. I mean, I know the cats are there. I know there was this year, there was, um, my daughter loved, uh, there was a Punch and Judy show. Mm -hmm. There was a bubble magician. Yeah. So it's not just sci-fi, you know, it, it's TV, film, it's entertainment. It's an entertainment convention, really, isn't it? JJ always describes it as a film and television convention. Yes. But I like to call it a popular culture convention because it covers so Correct. much. I'm not even 100% sure calling it a convention is the right way of putting it. No, no. And I can't think of a word that it could be because no. it's bigger than it's, it's, anything else that's out there. It's unique, completely unique. Yeah. Uh, and I try to explain it to people and it's impossible. Uh, but you, you need to experience it. Um, as I mentioned before to other people, um, JJ is exactly the same. You, you can't explain JJ. You, you <laughs> need to experience JJ. No, you can't. No. Love you, JJ. Only joking. But yeah, is and so you've got these you've got these guys that are in can we call them costumes? I feel like they're, they're they better are, than costumes. They are costumes. Yeah. Um, they're better than costumes though. But then you've got JJ that is swapping costumes every ten minutes and you don't know what it's gonna be. Sometimes you're actually dreading what he's gonna come out in with next, but it is fantastic. <laughs> you you cannot <laughs> when, when, you have seen him in his Princess Leia outfit, haven't you? Uh yeah. <laughs> the first. I'm not going to tell. I'm not going to tell your listeners which one it, costume it is. But... Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's not nice. Now, the first time I met JJ, he was dressed up as um, the girl out of the Fifth Element with the bandage outfit thing. Yes, multipass. Yeah. That's the one. Yes. Yeah, that was an experience. The first, that, that the first time I met him. Do you know what? And, and you know, you know what, JJ, I love you, but please shave before you do these. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. 
<laughs> and and there was the other one that he he uh, brought out for the the West Midlands event, which had people thinking because it was a crossover between Walter White from Breaking Bad, yeah, and Snow White. So he had the hat and the beard and the glasses, <laughs> like Walter White, and a Snow White dress. Only JJ would ever think of that <laughs> and it was superb absolutely superb it's amazing isn't it if you don't know jj and simon they're the guys that founded feel the force day and they are chalk and cheese but you need the chalk and cheese for feel the force day to work yeah so you you've got jj who is the outrageous funny man but then you've got simon who no he is funny i was about to say he's grumpy but no he is funny but he is he is, he is grumpy but he is funny <laughs> Yeah, he's the guy who is constantly penny-pinching because they don't make any money from it. It's no. kind of like that £5 comes in, that £5 has got to be spent on X, Y, and Z. Yeah. And so those two together is just amazing. I'd like to see it the other way around, though, if JJ was in charge of all the finance and Simon was in charge of all the silliness. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, Simon is, well, to put it mildly, he's not the biggest fan of Doctor Who for a start. Well, you know, and that's the only thing that me and him argue about. There's not many sci-fi things that I like. <laughs> Doctor Who is one of them. That is, the, you know. And I, I'm putting that very mildly that he doesn't like Doctor Who. Yes, I yes, I did hear a, a radio show that he was on and uh, it was <laughs> it was upsetting me, to be fair. <laughs> We've mentioned it on on other things where Simon goes around making sure that everybody's okay. All the stallholders, all the cosplayers, he will go around and he will talk to everyone. Yes. And JJ is just JJ. He's the fun, the life and soul of the party. Yes. I think it wouldn't be the same without them. I mean, no. as I say, there's the West Midlands one. There was one down in Plymouth. There's one in Bridgewater. There was, you know, and every one of them have been completely different. But... Simon and JJ were at all of those events doing what they can. It's their baby, and and it's it? the the most strangest but beautiful experience at the same time. Oh, totally! But at the end of the day, and you know, there's two ladies that never get mentioned to feel the force day, and that's the wives, <laughs> because the amount of rubbish they have to put up with is is ridiculous. Oh yeah, Claire and Gail are just. <laughs> Absolute, them two of angels. <laughs> How they put it with those two is unbelievable. And then there's also the lady that raises a bit of money for the uh, the event, and uh, JJ's mum. <laughs> I've got, and it's, it's still in my kitchen actually. I've got a postcard that um, I was given to that was signed by JJ's mum, and it's um, on the the same thing feel as um, the Calendar Girls. Right. <laughs> I think I know and, where this is going. <laughs> I don't think I should say anymore, but yeah, <laughs> the girls are, are amazing as well. And sorry, I've just thought of something um, with the stage show at Field of Force Day. Yeah, it's great that we get local dramatic arts students or groups and clubs that just come in and they'll perform and do their show for nothing. That is absolutely amazing. I think that is the pull of a lot of yeah. it is that it is local. Yes, we've got celebrities there, and that is lovely, but it's great to get these kids that come in, and you've got the dancing, singing. It's amazing. And Simon and JJ will go to me. They go, right, you're in charge. Nobody can be late. Go, And I go, all right, okay, <laughs> here we go. Let's see what happens today. Because I don't know what's happening until 
the day because we'll get phone calls going oh we've got you've got us down for 10 o'clock so and so's has thrown up they need to change can we swap times and it it might look really organized at the front but backstage is terrifying <laughs> so eddie it's it's been a pleasure talking with you i've loved it this is my, my first interview i've never been interviewed before really no wow it's great a podcast <laughs> I think it's amazing. So, I'll uh, be tweeting about this for weeks. <laughs> so hopefully we'll speak to you again soon. Uh, probably the next time we speak to you will be after the next Field of Force Day event and we can sort of like catch up from there and um, who knows? It'll be lovely. Yeah, thanks again. Pleasure. Thank you very much. Take care. Eddie Spangles, he's uh, a ball of energy. If you didn't tell me that that was his first interview, I never would have guessed it. But he's a showman, you see. Well, that's he's... true. That's true. He loves being on stage. He is, is brilliant. And that's why JJ brought him in, to actually bring in a bit of order to the whole program because before it was, right, we'll get as many people on the stage as possible. There's no timeline or anything. So Eddie's there to make sure these people are on the stage at such and such a time uh, and then the next one will be in half an hour's time or whatever. And uh, as he says, it's pandemonium behind the curtain. <laughs> no, look at who's involved. This is no surprise. <laughs> Come on. Okay, I do have one thing for you, though. And, and this is my um, very much American side coming through. I try to pride myself in knowing a lot of, of uh, British colloquialisms. However, chalk and cheese? Chalk and cheese. <laughs> it means uh, a complete opposite. I guess one's edible, one's not. Um. Yeah, that's pretty much it. <laughs> that's it? Okay. <laughs> okay. I'm surprised uh, that, you haven't heard that one. I'm yeah. really surprised you haven't heard that one. No, I haven't heard that. That, that one threw me for six. <laughs> How's that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, either th- throw you for six or knock you for six, yep. one or the other. <laughs> but, yeah... I've been meaning to get Eddie on the show for a little while um, because he's so much fun um, to talk to. I've actually got a lot more content than that. Uh, we got a bit on a, a bit of a nostalgia trip talking about things from our past and stuff, and he was into pretty much the same stuff as I was. Nice. So it was like, wow. So I might put some stuff together and put it in the garbage pod, actually. He, he does make me really wish that I was in the audience for that song with Warwick Davis just to see the look on his face. Oh, that yeah, I wasn't at that one either. I would have loved to have seen that. When he was talking about me having a starring role, the video for the Seven Seconds Nana Cherry thing, um, as he mentioned there, he was asking people to do ten seconds of something, just anything. And I thought, well, what can I do? Well, I'm a podcaster, so I put on my TGP nominal polo shirt, stood in front of the microphone, made out I was doing a show. And uh, it got put into the final video so I was there on the day of Field of Force Day and every year they have the big screen a big cinema screen and they do the premiere of the video and I saw myself on the big screen and I was like oh my god I'm on the cinema screen (laughs) (laughs) oh god I need to get over there now this is the last interview. I'm saving the best till last. Oh, uh, you've had some really good ones so far. Um, yeah, but uh, have a listen to this. 
I'm here in Sam's in Peterborough and I'm joined by JJ and Simon from Field of Force Day. How are you doing? I'm alright. Good. Thank you very much. I'm trying not to swear again. We've um, had some alcoholic beverages. That's why I'm trying not to swear again. <laughs> so this could be fun. Mine's very strong. Well, you would, would pick the cider. I, I don't actually know. That's not woodpecker cider. <laughs> Was that didn't say woodpecker? Yeah. Did I <laughs> no, you would pick the cider. <laughs> woodpecker cider. I don't know. You make cider out of woodpeckers. <laughs> Is that impossible? You bring them out like a Jacob. Meat is murder. My wife's a vegan. It's also a very hard with that Yeah, don't know. It's been a long time since I've had meat. <laughs> so, field of force day. A lot has changed since the last event. The inevitable has happened, and we've joined up with another charity. Ah. And grown to a new venue. And uh, a bit scary. It's like we're starting bit, again. Yeah, pretty much like we're starting again, but now for the third time. Yes, it's basically we've decided that we. You either grow or you die, right? You swing or you go home. So we've swung. Kingsgate, we've kind of outgrown. So we've hit the point where we need a bigger venue. So we booked the East of England Showground, or East of England Arena. That is the only other venue there is here. Pretty much that's it. It's either this or nothing now. It's It's not just a little bit bigger than the... Well, it's basically an an aircraft hangar you could fit a B-52 in, yeah. It's massive. Is it that big you can fit a B-52 It is. It's 60 metres wide. And it is a hundred and I'm gonna say hundred and twenty metres long. So Sounds yeah. like my pants. Yeah, pretty much. Mm. Slightly smaller than that. Excellent. So, so why hire out a venue when we can use my pants? <laughs> Unfortunately we haven't got a field big enough for his pants. That's why he uses a tumble dryer and not a washing line. <laughs> so since the last event, uh, you joined up with a, another charity so that was kind of to expand the brand wasn't it yeah so we um have reached the point where as a small charity ourselves we can't grow anymore so we needed a means by which we could do that so we looked at a couple of options one was to set ourselves up as a, a larger charity one was to try and join up with a larger charity there were some personal issues that happened over the last couple of years for both jj and i and we decided realistically we're not going to be able to do the setting up on our own it's just not not a proposition either of us are able to undertake so we looked around for organisations we thought might be able to parent us and we approached Cambridgeshire Deaf Association who are also known as CDA who came along to the event we got talking to them they were really keen to be involved they're quite um, quite an old charity they've been around for about 130 years under various different guises mm-hmm. so we knew that we'd be sort of sustainable within that organisation and that allows us then to grow it into something much much bigger than it is that has obviously led on to what we were talking about earlier about the, the new venue because obviously expand the brand you've got to expand what you do as well well actually the two aren't technically linked we decided that we wanted to look at a bigger venue anyway and we were looking at bigger venues as it was but I don't know you came to fill the full stay last year and you might have noticed it was quite busy just a little bit just a yeah. little bit so we felt like we'd kind of peaked at the venue there yeah. we can't really time get any come. bigger the time had come to move on anyway so sort of concurrent to that we joined up with CDA that allows us to then basically expand what we're doing as well as be technically and administratively expanded if you see what I mean so yeah the two aren't necessarily intrinsically linked but it's helpful to be part of a bigger organisation to make that happen just off the top of your head kind of thing what do you want to achieve with having a bigger venue we are just looking to sustain within a bigger bigger entity Um, we're talking about a much larger venue we're talking about a larger capacity but we're also talking about significantly increased costs yeah um, I've done the business modelling and I'm pretty confident we can do it 
but obviously there's always a question anything you do like this is a risk mm. so you have to take that risk because I spoke to you a couple of years ago and you were saying that the kind of experience you had at Field of Horse Day was good but not much of a challenge and you were looking for yeah. that was the year it was challenge it went flat for us didn't it we both come yeah. out like oh, yeah. there's nothing to achieve because we achieved it yeah that was kind of we sort of got every, right so every time we do I might have said this to you on a previous podcast but I'll say it again just in case every time we've done an event you come off the back of it I don't know if you've ever done like a charity event and then you all of a sudden you have this kind of high where you know you've achieved something and you kind of just like you run a marathon you get to the end and it hurts but you go oh look at that isn't that amazing or something on those lines well that's kind of where we were year one after Field of Force Day we were both just like what the how did that happen that was epic and then year two rolling from a little working men's club not much bigger than this room to a place like Kingsgate was just incredible for us um, year four after year three where we'd grown again um, was kind of um, well, we've done it twice in a row now and we know we can do it um, for me 2017 was probably our best event I felt like it was the best organised it ran better I could have counted on one hand the things that I thought needed improving and I attempted to improve them for 2018 and then something else horrible went wrong and it made it a big challenge on the day but if you didn't notice then that's great um, <laughs> but 2018 was much more challenging just basically weather and sheer number of people really Yeah. Um, so we decided we needed something bigger anyway it was very wet it was very wet it was kind of a, a very cold wet miserable day wasn't it last year mm, yeah, but it was a good day inside you wouldn't have thought so yeah looking at the people yeah everyone had a nice time it mm. was it was pretty packed in there last year yeah. mm. I, noticed that. I thought it was probably a bit too packed yeah, that was the first hour or so you couldn't move it was no. bumper to bumper so the question you have to start asking yourself when you're trying to do an accessible film and TV convention is do we have too many people in here to call ourselves accessible and probably the short answer last year was yes we mm. probably weren't accessible enough and in hindsight should have maybe kept back some of the tickets so that we had a bit more space mm -hmm. um, we didn't sell I don't think many more if any more tickets than the year before we had probably a greater footfall it's normally carers and people like that who increase the numbers um, but it wasn't an, an, a huge amount more but because of the weather and things like that people just stayed so we had just a building that was utterly packed with people even yeah it certainly was but the atmosphere was electric it really was electric and of course you had more of the presence on the stage so the stage was better organized this year we brought eddie in yeah um so eddie spangles came along and did did our mc last year that really helped did, didn't it? Just made it better for us. Because he was involved the year before doing it. Yeah, thing. but it wasn't but really it was more, uh, more chaotic. structured <laughs> yeah. last year. So we renamed the stage um, Eddie Spangles Presents. So we gave it, like, we put it, named it after the MC. Look, that's a popular part of our day. It's not your average convention 
thing, but it yeah. sort of works for us. Everybody I've spoken to has said there's one thing that changes what you do compared with other kinds of conventions is the amount of entertainment that is actually you yeah. know, done during the day. And it's another facet. Is that the right word? There's a right word. Well done. because I've had a pun. Cider makes you smarter. Look at that. It's another facet to keeping people there longer. Yeah, I think, you think that's it. I mean, when you've got the likes of, um, I mean, one of the biggest pulls for what's on the stage is the Blues Brothers. That is oh, they're epic. Nice. Every single time they're epic. I think this is now uh, one of our bigger challenges because with Kingsgate, the stage is obviously integral to the building. It's all part of the thing. So the lighting and the sound and the kind of the way that the main arena is sectioned off from the outside world so the light is completely what we choose it to be and the sound is completely what we choose it to be is not necessarily possible within the new venue we have to find a way of having that um, that work for us in a different way without losing what is special about it because yeah. we've built this event around the stage show really with everything else being a kind of a broader um, sort of accessory to that and now we're going to have to refocus how we work onto being maybe a little more, bit more mainstream yeah. if anything um, having a stage like the one we have at Kingsgate in our new venue you're, call, you're talking tens of thousands of pounds to make that work and simply we're not in a position to do that unless someone very rich wants to sponsor us please or <laughs> thank not. you so, do you see what I mean so it's, it's really difficult for us to um, produce the same kind of experience in the new venue but then every venue has its advantages this yeah. new venue is far more adaptable it's far bigger it's going to have more space it's going to be more accessible it's going to be overall probably a better day but what we're trying to do is not lose that ethos yeah that is the main thing really it's, it's the feel of Phil Force Day is completely different to anything else mm. I've experienced yeah. and I think that's the big draw yeah definitely so I don't know if there's well, there is anything like Field of Force Day anywhere else really I'm not sure there's yeah. even other Field of Force Days are not like Field of Force Day this is true yeah. Every single one has been a little bit different, hasn't yeah. it? So well, I think that's a good thing, though, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. You, you need mm. to bring a little bit of regionality yeah, yeah, to the events if it's held in a different Yeah, like the ones that place. we do other places, they're never like the ones we do in Peterborough, but they've got their own individual They certainly do. I mean, personality. Every single one of them has its own little style. Um, probably most notably, Bridgewater was... Yeah, very really different. different to every other one because it was hosted in a shopping centre and it's a more transient audience and things like that and yet it was still a really entertaining and fun day Yeah, um, that really benefited a lot of disabled people yeah. which is the whole point so. uh, actually the, sometimes as a shopping centre I feel it's quite good because I've been involved with a free comic book day stroke Star Wars day uh, event and um, that was housed in a in a shopping centre and you, you are bringing in sometimes some people that probably wouldn't come to those kind of things because yeah. they just happen to be in Pass, the shopping centre and yeah. all of a sudden they have a nice time yeah that's it yeah so, we've so. got the same in Bridgewater Bridgewater I nearly said Bridgend not Bridge North Bridgend because no. <laughs> yeah. you'd get Bridge old, Street old ladies doing their shopping and Bridgeland. all of a sudden there'd be Darth Vader there so it was a uh, now, yeah, that, that's of kind of the caught them unaware. A different kind of humour that sort of takes <laughs> over because the one thing that the guys in costume have is a sense of humour. They really, really do, and they love to. You see, a, you just sit there with, um, I don't know, I've never known anything like a Wookiee taking the 
basically. It's just, it is, isn't it? You get, um, there's a guy dressed as a Wookiee who just thinks it's funny to stand behind a little old lady in Iceland, which is great, because she's sort of sat there just binging herself shopping through the checkout aisle. One one of the guys who's uh, a friend of mine, a guy called Gary Wig, who uh, is in the UK Preds, Uh, and he's got a lot of other costumes that he has yeah, as well. Game of Thrones, um, he does. His Game of was it his Game of Thrones or was it his Wookiee? No, it was definitely his Pred. He was stood behind someone at an event who was in uh, a virtual reality mask and things, and didn't know he was standing behind him. Brilliant. And when he took the mask off, uh, nearly had a coronary. It was. Uh, <laughs> quite amusing that's my kind of sense of humour <laughs> anything that could give JJ a heart attack basically I've been aiming for this for years at least I'd be free of feel the force day if it happened because no one knows who I am we're looking at how we might be able to expand what we do into a wider kind of um, a different kind of show I'm going to be a bit cryptic on this because I don't want to say anything until it's actually sort of set in stone and literally just really started the conversation but maybe having something in the evening as well as because as well as the actual day because we've got the venue for much longer so maybe we can do more with it it will kind of depend on the weather and a few other things but there's an opportunity to do something outside because the outside space the outside space we've got is as big as the inside space and that's not including the car parks, which are now, I think, what is it, seven times larger than the original. We can hold two and a half thousand cars now instead of 400, so. That's seven times more? That, that says, yeah, says a times. lot about the venue, yeah, really. It's when massive. You, it's it's massive. When, you, when you think about it, in the, in we're not even using all of it. We're using, like, the, there's a big there's a big hangar space that we're using, there's an atrium space that we're using, and there's an entrance space that we're using. Plus, then there's an outside space as big as the hangar, but then there's, I know we've got that as well, but then there is all of the um, other side to it. If you, when we go in, you turn left, and that takes you into the building that we're in, but there's also a right, and it's another area like twice as big yeah. that we're not using because we're not using it. <laughs> but it's massive. Yeah, there's a lot more options if we need it. Yeah. So there's pretty good reason why you've now called Field the Force Day for this year Field the Force Day XL. Yeah, I don't know what we're going to call it next year if we use the whole venue though. XXL? XXL. gets a bit boring after that, and XXXL? XXLL? That was a t shirt we bought you a few years ago. Yeah. Wasn't it? <laughs> I think you were just thinking of the XL t shirt. You did, it was like a skirt. It was, and it made the, um, it made the logo look very small. It's like having a, a postage stamp on a bed sheet. <laughs> didn't make me look very small, though. No, it didn't. No. Well, it did actually, because it actually was too big for you. I remember it coming down to your knees. Which are not that far from your head. <laughs> So when does this all take place? Come on, uh, come on. Fifth of October, 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 2019. Oh, is it the fifth or the sixth? It's the fifth. It's the fifth. It was the sixth. Was last year. Don't confuse us. Honestly, <laughs> what's the point of you if you can't remember Field of Force Day's date? Because I can't remember it. Um, yeah, it's the fifth of October. Saturday, the fifth of October. There are conversations being had about whether it's possible to turn it into a fifth and sixth. So it might be something that's possible this year. Maybe something we do next year. But the idea of doing a two-day event, that'd be epic, wouldn't it? Tiny steps. Tiny steps. Can you handle it? Because as I said at the, from the outset, Tiny steps. when you ask, what's our target for this year? I said, to break even. That's our target, to break even. Please don't cost me any money. I'd like to go on holiday this year. 
as always, pleasure to meet up with you. Thank you. I Thank you it, for buying the beer. I thought it was... Did you? No, I didn't. I, <laughs> um, I, I thought it would be a better idea to uh, do it in person rather than the Skype chat that we did before. Cause yeah, because we could have a pint. That kind of fell over last time, so... Yeah. Did it? It took a long time. I remember just being on the Skype to I'm you for about four Skype. hours. I've got to do a Skype. And you having to apologise for my language. <laughs> And there it is again. What language? I don't know what you're <laughs> He's got a bleeper. He can do it with the bleeper. Yeah, it's just, fine. The last time it started off in the garden and then the signal sort of dropped out in the garden ended up in the living room. Yeah. You still had the field force day figure box thing. It was still building it, it weren't we? It was still building it. Yeah, so that's right. It was in my living room. Talk, my wife nearly divorced around me. it. <laughs> I was nearly a single man again because of that box. I have to do an update to it. I'm trying to adapt it to make it a bit more compact, but it means bringing it to my house and working on it, and I know she'll leave me if I do. So <laughs> she'll I think, be fuming. Uh, Hulk smash. Yeah, she will be, mate. She will. So, yeah, she will kill me if I um, if I turn up with that and say, "Hi, Gail. I'm just going to start redesigning the box again." Pelt you with lentils. She may well kill me to death with a cucumber. Mm. <laughs> that could sound wrong. Yeah, kill me to death with a porcupine. No, that would no, be an animal. Stop. She kill me anyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he had to get two bleeps in there, didn't he? <laughs> he got to be honest with you if you heard the original recording oh, there was a lot more than two bleeps I'm sure that was very heavily edited <laughs> not to mention the fact that uh, we were in like a cellar area in a bar so it's an area where they have live bands downstairs ah and uh staff kept coming down Simon said to one of the guys do you mind we're recording and that's when all the swearing started by him or by the guy he just basically told to go away both (laughs) so yeah it was an interesting evening yeah I'm really looking forward to Field of Force Day this year as I say as he described it it's a a building that you could house a B-52 in yeah I heard that's That's nuts those are huge (laughs) It's basically an arena where you have these major concerts. Yeah. And they've actually got one of the main halls plus extra. It holds something like twelve to 12,500 people. Mm. Uh, last year, they had 7,500. Even if it's just a return from those people, right there, it's more than half. And it gets bigger year on year, so... Good. They, they can do it. it, but it did get packed last year. Right. It was getting difficult for people in wheelchairs and whatnot to actually get about so that was when they made the decision we need a bigger venue right well i hope it all pays off for them yeah it should do i mean it's just getting better and better each year so as he said it's on the sixth no fifth of october it was the sixth last year i made that mistake in the recording yeah um fifth of october at the east of england arena in peterborough i'll put a a link to everything in the show notes. And I know this is a long shot. Have they actually approached Disney? Yes and no. (laughs) There was a little bit of problem with Disney at Star Wars Celebration because they wanted to do a stand at Star Wars Celebration and they weren't too happy about it for some reason. Um, I would have thought it wouldn't have been a problem because they're dealing with charity and, right. and uh, disabled kids and stuff. And they're not um, specifically referring to Star Wars. Or maybe that was the issue. Yeah, probably. 
but um, mm. I know Disney have st- at Legoland Windsor for the last three years they've had this event called Star Wars Legoland and um, they've pulled the plug on it. All these costumers go there to raise money for charities and hospices and all that kind of stuff. And, um, yeah, Disney pulled the plug on it. So um, I don't know what's happening there. But there you go. Yeah. Spanhead Productions are a small independent sound recording company based in rural Hertfordshire. We specialise in creating content for all your podcasting needs, whether it be field recordings, fox pops, or capturing the atmosphere during social events. Editing is a very time-consuming job, so Spanhead Productions are on hand to take away some of the burden for you. Just advise us on how you'd like your content to sound, and we will do the rest. We can even help you design and manage a website for your podcast too. Visit us now, Spanhead Productions. Weebly.com. That's spamheadproductions.weebly.com. I think it's probably time we started wrapping things up. So, John. Yes, sir. Pleasure to have you back on the show again. Oh, pleasure to be tolerated once again. So, how did you find that? I find that I need to get my butt over there, one way or another. <laughs> See, and I could, I could do it for just me. That's not a problem. The problem is trying to deal with the rest of the family who would love to go over there and would hate me if I went over alone. <sighs> yeah. One day you're going to have to get over for Field Force. I am. It, I, I just can't recommend people go enough. The next time you hear TGP Nominal will be one of our extra shows and Ross Hockham will be back telling us what's going on in March and he's going to have a lot to tell us about because he's been doing these events for the National Trust at Dunstable Downs um, stargazing at Dunstable Downs which was great, uh, he did two family days and one for Valentine's night so he said I can't think of anything better than you and your loved one staring at the stars mm. Yeah, on a freezing cold <laughs> February evening <laughs> so that leaves us to say to everyone out there who listened to the show, thanks very much for listening. Take care, one and all, and we will speak to you all again real soon. Toodles! Well, that about wraps it up for this episode of TGP Nominal. If you want to get in touch with us, then... Send an email to garbagepod at virginmedia.com, where your input is our output. Or click the social media icons at the top left of the page over at tgpnominal.weebly.com. If you would like to subscribe to any of our podcasts, you can do so via iTunes, the RSS feed, and also Stitcher and TuneIn On Demand Radio. And you can listen to me going solo, bringing you the latest in movies and home theater for regular people in the Widescreen podcast over at widescreen.org. Don't forget to rate and review us. If you like what we're doing here, then why not buy us a pint by clicking on the donate button on any of the podcast pages. And don't forget to spread the word about us. Station, this is Houston ACR. Thank you. That concludes the event. <laughs>